I don't know what it is about it, but one of today's stories actually freaked me out. I'll just say stay tuned for the third story, and be warned that many of today's tales are not for the faint of heart. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Dark Prevails, to see a friggin' giant horse named Samson. Today, I've got a special set of allegedly true scary stories about horrifying creatures seen in the woods. Enjoy, and don't forget to send me your scary stories soon, at darkstories.org. I'm looking for creepy cabin, camping, and hunting stories, but all unexplained tales are fine by me. Also, go to eeriecast.com for more scary podcasts like this, and to shop at our store. Now, let's begin. It wasn't my mother, from Blair 17. I live in the south of England. My house is a bit off track, just next to a small forest. It's not very big, but it is quite dense, and I always found it to have an eerie atmosphere. For context, it's important to know that at the time, my parents were on a short trip over the bank holiday, and would be returning in two days. Also, since our house is not that easy to access, and we don't have any neighbors, it's quite rare to hear any other sound than some occasional birds or stray cats. Our house is quite old, at least 200 years. If you open the front door, you can either directly take the stairs up the second floor, or open a wooden door to the right, leading to the kitchen, which has a door that leads to the garden. At the time, I was upstairs, finishing up some work for uni. I didn't listen to any music, but I did have some white noise on just for comfort. I wasn't really paying much attention to anything else around me, when suddenly I heard our front door open. It was an old house, so the door makes a very distinguishable clack sound when it's opened. We're home, my mother's voice echoed. Out of routine, I shouted my usual, yes ma'am. Then I turned my head back to my computer. Slowly it sank in that what I just heard could not have possibly been my mother because my mother should be miles away in Aberdeen, enjoying her holiday with my dad. I stopped my white noise, and I sat there in silence for a moment, a bit dumbfounded. It had gotten quiet downstairs, and I convinced myself that it had just been something in the white noise that my absent-minded self had picked up on. After all, it was already 11pm, and I'd been working all day, I decided that I was just tired, so I called it a night. I shut my laptop and opened the door to my room to go downstairs and take a shower. That's when I heard it again. It sounded like my mother's voice, but something was off. It sounded muffled, as if she was talking into a pillow, and her limerick accent had been replaced by my dad's posh Cambridge accent. Raven, come and take out the trash. I froze on the spot. That couldn't be my mother, I thought. Obviously, my mind went to burglars or some other kind of intruder. I snuck into my dad's study, where he kept our hunting gear, and I took my 5.6mm Kral Pro air rifle out of the locker. I'd heard about people being murdered by burglars that were caught red-handed, and I wasn't about to be one of them. Slowly, I crept down the stairs, being careful to skip over the squeaky boards that could have blown my cover. Once I reached the last step, I slowly opened the door to the kitchen and I shouted I was armed, not afraid to shoot if I needed to. No answer came. I entered the kitchen with my rifle up and I scanned the scene. All was quiet, no rustling, no voices, nothing. It was then that I heard a scratching sound from the direction of the large kitchen window. This sounded like a branch clicking against the window, only we don't have any trees with branches near the house 
that could be long enough to cause such a sound. Carefully, I inched closer, still thinking that I was dealing with an intruder on my property. I laid one hand on the glass to use it as a makeshift looking glass, and I pressed my face against the window. My blood ran cold. At the edge of the forest, right on the boundary of our garden, stood my mother. Yet her body was contorted, too many joints and feet facing backwards. She opened her mouth, and I swear I saw sharp yellowed teeth. Come out here. I need your help. Her voice echoed in my head. It made me feel warm and fuzzy, so I opened the window and stepped into the garden. I lowered my rifle, somehow convinced that this was actually my mother. Looking back, I think I'd been charmed by it or something. Whatever it did to me, it was making me easier to catch, to lure out. Luckily, it made a mistake. Come over here, honey, the voice said. I snapped out of it right there. My mother never called me honey. I hated it, and she knew that. Realizing what had just happened, I raised my air rifle, and I shot at it. I must have made contact, because the thing let out a screech and disappeared into the forest. I ran back inside the house, locking all the doors and closing the shutters. I didn't sleep that night. I phoned my girlfriend in the morning. She picked me up, and I stayed with her until my parents got back. When I told her what had happened, we did a bit of research. We looked into doppelgangers, and I believe maybe that's what I saw. But whatever it was, I hope I never have to see it again. The Creature on Our Annual Friends Getaway From Always Late, Wade My best friend group has been going on an annual holiday ever since we all went to different colleges. There's my twin sister Kate, the always chill George, the gentle Cassidy, and the big lug we call Tank. Truly, he is built like a tank, ever since freshman year when he always wanted to impress the girls, but deep down he's just a big softy. So every year we go to a cottage, which we all helped to build with my grandfather, just a year before he passed away. We arrived in my truck, and the gang quickly jumped out, heading towards the dock. Before I knew it, they were all in the lake, leaving me to unpack the whole truck. By the time I had only two more things left to unload, the vegetable crate and the meat cool box, Tank walked up soaking wet, saying, Hey, I'll take those veggies, man. I obliged and thanked him. Tank immediately put the veggie crate in the storeroom, while I put the meat box in the kitchen. I took out my phone and wallet, then began to put the meat in the fridge, while Tank went back to the lake for a swim. After everything was stocked up, I went to the dock myself, which was now covered in shoes, socks, shirts, and pants. Come on, get in already, my sister shouted. Cassidy came out and began to pull me towards the water. Come on in, dude, the water's great. He kept saying as I managed to take my shoes and socks off while being pulled closer and closer to the end of the dock. With one final hard yank, we both plummeted into the water. We all had a great time for a few hours. After that, I left the lake, took a quick shower to get rid of all the dirty lake water, and I started to prepare the meat for the barbecue. After a while, Cassidy walked in, wondering what I was making. The marinade for the ribs tonight, I said. She quickly dipped a finger in the marinade and took a taste. Oh, that's good. Tank and Kate walked in as well, tasting the marinade too. Man, you're one heck of a cooking princess, Tank said. I glared at him and just replied, Get me another beer, would you? As he left, I called out, Bring the sweet potatoes too. Eventually, Tank shouted back, Uh, no sweet potatoes here, man. There has to be. I can't make this without him. Sorry, 
he replied. We ain't having sweet potatoes, then. Kate checked her phone, then looked up. There's a town 45 minutes from here. We can go get some, me and Cass. Cass agreed to go. Before long, the two were driving away. I called the tank again. Hey, where's that cold one, man? George followed with, Yeah, bring me one as well. Hey, I'll be at the docks, he said to me. Tank, sounding distracted, eventually came back with, Yeah, yeah, I'm coming up. It was at that point that I looked out the kitchen window. I swear, in the far distance, I saw this large, skinny figure. Judging by the height of the trees, the creature must have been at least seven feet tall. It vaguely looked like a person, but there was no way it could have been one. I turned my head away from the window, looking towards George who had shouted something. After I had regained my composure, I glanced back at the spot where I saw that thing, but it was no longer there. A couple of hours later, Kate and Cassidy returned with the sweet potatoes. I prepared everything for the barbecue. We had a great time laughing during the barbecue when a truck rolled up to the cottage, and of course we knew the guy driving it. It was a park ranger we knew. His name was Chad. Tank excitedly invited Chad over for some burgers. The reason I'm here, he began, is because people have been reporting seeing someone in the woods. Someone quite tall, apparently. Oh, are they dangerous? Kate asked. Can't be sure, Chad said. But I suggest after it gets dark, y'all stay inside. We said goodbye to Chad and thanked him for the warning. As we continued to eat, Chad left. After the meal, everyone except me went on inside. I wanted to make sure I cleaned off the barbecue. While doing so, I started to hear footsteps coming from the wooded area close to the cottage. Not long after that, my sister pulled me inside, then shut and locked the door. What's wrong with you? I asked. She put a finger to her lips, shushing me. We then heard footsteps close to the back door, followed by what sounded like crying. We looked at each other in surprise, which was then followed by the sound of nails running across the window. Cassidy, George, and Kate were shaking at this point, but I got up and slowly walked towards one of the windows, peeking through the drapes. What I saw was a long, emaciated arm hovering by the front door. Once whatever it belonged to reached the door, it began to both knock and cry, intensifying the fear inside the cabin. The rain began to pour then, and its knocking became more frequent. Suddenly, a loud thunderclap was heard, making whatever stood at the front door scream before running away. I looked towards Cassidy. She was trembling. Another loud thunderclap caused her to cower into her room. We decided to head to bed, trying to forget what just happened. The thunder continued throughout the night, and after about an hour, someone opened my bedroom door. It was Cassidy, stuttering, I don't want to be alone tonight. I'm scared. Oh, I replied, no problem. You can stay in here with me. Thank you, she said. We laid close and eventually went to sleep. The next morning, I woke up, and Cassidy was still fast asleep. I got out of bed, trying not to wake her, and I walked into the kitchen. I was just about to prepare breakfast, when Kate came up and asked, Hey, have you seen Cassidy? She's not in her room. I replied, Oh, she slept in my room. But before either of us could say anything, Tank started to tease. Oh yeah? Major move, huh? This was a little irritating, but after our little chat, we gathered in the living room, and we agreed we would not go outside after dark for the rest of our stay. Luckily, it didn't return during that trip. The next annual get-together is next month, and no doubt we'll have fun again, but I think the whole group is wondering, 
will we be seeing our skinny friend again? And what in the world is it? This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Warning. The following story contains vivid depictions of violence against pets. The Animal Skinner From J. Dixon 55 I'm a 29-year-old woman, living in a relatively small town in Kentucky. Growing up, my mother sometimes had the most random boyfriends. It was while she was dating a guy that lived in a trailer park that these experiences happened. I was only about 9 years old when all of this went down. The first experience came about one day when my mom took my two brothers and I to go and visit her boyfriend. The trailer park in which he lived was fairly large and surrounded by huge wooded areas. Many people lived there, and someone even owned a small poodle breed dog that ran around playing with everyone, and I think it loved getting pets from us. His name was Snoopy. Well, one day Snoopy went missing. He never showed up. That obviously wasn't normal for him. His owner told us that he never came back home one day, so a bunch of us got together, and we went looking for him. We couldn't find him anywhere, and we searched for hours. We'd pretty much given up hope when someone yelled out that they'd found something. I remember running over as a crowd gathered at the base of a tree in the backyard of my mom's boyfriend's place. My mom tried keeping us kids back, but it was too late. I got a good look at what it was people were freaking out over. It was a pile of skin and fur. Dirty, white, curly fur that was just like Snoopy's. Still attached to the skin, the rest of the body nowhere to be found. We all stared at it in shock, wondering how this could have happened. As far as we knew, no one would have wanted to hurt the little dog. He was a sweet little thing and never bothered anyone except to play. No explanation was really given, and that pile of skin and fur was quickly disposed of. A couple of weeks later, my mom wanted to go see her boyfriend again. Once again, she took me and my two brothers along, but first we stopped by a friend's place, who happened to live in the very same trailer park. We were there for only a few minutes, when we pulled up and got out of the car, I noticed a little black cat. I love animals, so I went over to pet it, before heading on in to the friend's house. We must have been there around 10 or 15 minutes tops before leaving. While I walked back to the car, something caught my eye. Something glistening under the streetlight. It was nighttime at that point, so the streetlights were on. I approached it out of curiosity, and I was surprised to find the body of a small cat. It was the same size of the cat I'd just been petting only minutes ago. The only issue was, the body had no skin. None whatsoever. 
The thing was just bone, meat, and muscle, but no skin, no fur. In fact, it was still wet, emitting some warmth from its body as if it had just happened. I pointed it out to my mom. She was disgusted, quickly telling me to leave it alone and to get in the car. I remember Snoopy coming to my mind then. I thought it odd that now two animals had been skinned with no explanation. As the days passed, I put these poor animals in the back of my mind. We kept on making visits to my mom's boyfriend, us kids hanging out in the neighborhood. Other non-related odd things happened here and there, like the time my oldest brother and I found a Pennywise clown suit nailed to a tree in the woods. For me, the scariest thing that happened was one day when my little brother and I were lying outside on a picnic table. It was the afternoon. We were in my mom's boyfriend's backyard. As we lay there, my little brother decided to take a nap. I wasn't really sleepy, so I just looked at the clouds for a while, surveying the surrounding area. This backyard was quite large. There was a big area of woods back there and a huge field that belonged to a neighbor. Only a thin rusted wire fence separated the field from the backyard. It was in the field that I saw something in the distance, something that wasn't there before. It was a figure standing there. At first glance, I thought it was a man. It didn't move at first, but then it seemed to notice me watching. And when it did, it moved forward. I noticed that it was oddly postured. The right shoulder dipped lower than the left, and its gait was a bit unsteady. As it drew closer, I saw more details. It was at least six feet tall, maybe more, and what I had thought was clothing now looked like rags from a distance hanging off the figure. Its arms were longer than humans should be, and the hands looked way bigger, possibly even clawed. I soon realized this was no man that I was looking at. My eyes widened, and I shook my little brother awake, pointing to the figure and asking, Do you see that? He rose and looked at the figure, and his eyes went wide. He replied with just a nod. I looked back too, realizing in horror that the thing had gotten even closer to us. From what I could see, it didn't even have a nose. Instead, it had what looked to be nostrils on its face, kind of how it would look if you cut the nose off a man. Its eyes were pitch black. It had an arm outstretched towards us, as if reaching out to us. I looked back to my brother and told him, We need to run. We both leapt off the table and ran as fast as we could, and I swear we could have given the Flash a run for his money. We ran towards the trailer, but we hadn't yet made it out of the backyard before that thing let out a scream. The scream is hard to describe, something like a roar mixed with nails on a chalkboard. It was terrifying, and neither of us looked back to see if the creature was any closer. We bolted inside, and of course I told my mom, but she didn't react the way I expected. She seemed to figure we were just imagining things. Naturally, I guess. But we refused to go back outside. My mom broke up with her boyfriend not long after that. So, I guess thankfully, we never had to go back to that trailer park. I'm glad. Something tells me that that thing my little brother and I saw was responsible for those skinned animals. Those woods surrounded the whole area of the trailer park, and I figure that's where it lives. That's how it travels. I recently asked my brother if he remembers that, and his response was, I sure do. What the heck even was that thing? We talked about a few theories, but we still aren't really sure. All I know is I'm glad we ran. There's no telling what could have happened had we stayed on that table and the creature caught up to us. What was that thing in the woods from C. Philly 100?
This happened in Loveland, Colorado, very close to the foothills. One night I was walking my dog, Keenan, through a wooded area along the Big Thompson River. There aren't many people in this part of southwestern Loveland, and hardly anyone goes out at night. I started hearing what sounded like metal tapping on metal, almost like if you were to tap a knife against a metal pole or something. Keenan was visibly on high alert, stopping every few steps to look around. It was extremely dark, and I couldn't see much further than maybe 10 or 20 feet. I was getting nervous, as there are some small homeless camps scattered around these woods, but I actually knew most of these people. They're all very kind and really like me and my dog. Still, mental health is a major concern, and an unstable individual can be quite dangerous in the wrong set of circumstances. The noise was erratic. It almost sounded as though it was moving around us in circles. Just then, a high-pitched shriek forced me to cover my ears. Keenan started to bark ferociously. The two of us took off running, crashing through the briar and bramble. The shrieking continued, sometimes behind us, but then it would be out in front of us, causing us to change directions until I was so turned around I didn't know which way to run anymore. So we ducked down behind a fallen tree, stopping to catch our breaths. Keenan had his ears perked up, but we could no longer hear the shrieking sound anymore. I peeked my head up to try and get my bearings, when some clouds must have cleared, because a single ray of moonshine trickled down through the canopy, casting a blotchy pale light on the forest floor. Just then I saw something step out into the moonlight. It had long, skinny legs like those of a deer, with backwards knees and long, sinewy heels. It had long, sickly hands and even longer fingers. It appeared to be holding a buck knife in one hand and what appeared to be a short metal pipe in the other. The thing had terrible posture, but even slumped over the way it was, it was easily over seven feet tall, its head small and round, but covered in long, greasy hair. It looked around, eyes reflecting the light, giving it a rather supernatural appearance. But whatever this thing was, it was very real. I even caught a whiff of the foul, putrid odor this thing emitted, and it smelled like trash mixed with dead, rotting flesh and old, stale urine. Keenan growled low, and the thing shut its eyes in our direction. Then it took off in a sprint right at us, so we ran off in the opposite direction. I could hear the sound of the river close by, and I knew it was our only hope of escaping the creature. So I slid down through the muck and mire, launching myself into the rushing water with Keenan right on my heels. We popped out probably a quarter mile downstream where the river intersects with a major thoroughfare. So we were able to run home with our path mostly illuminated by streetlights. The creature no longer followed us, but we could still hear it shrieking off in the distance. That thing was terrifying and yet I have no clue what it was. We certainly won't be going walking around that area after dark anymore. Creature on the Reservation From Red Bear 77 This encounter happened when I was about 10 years old. My brother Dwight and my cousin Neil and I saw a strange humanoid on the Navajo Reservation, which I can only describe as Slenderman-like. We are warned by our elders for a reason, and before this encounter, our grandmother always told us not to whistle in the dark. We would ask her why, and she responded with some genuine concern. Because the bad things don't use language to communicate they communicate with strange sounds, and only they know what they're saying. By whistling, you're inviting them to come and communicate. The first time she said that, we all looked at each other and giggled under our breaths, thinking our grandmother was making up stories to scare us. As it so happened, a couple of months later, 
the three of us found ourselves at a junior high school dance. It was in the beginning of November, so it got dark pretty quick in the evenings. It was an awkward night of preteen kids peering at each other through the dim-lit cafeteria, girls on one side, boys on the other, everyone too afraid to dance. No one danced, but the boys were boasting about who they almost danced with when the light came on. One by one, everyone went home. The three of us were left, but we were acting tough, saying we could walk home in the dark. But that became our reality when we turned down a final offer to be driven home. We quickly hated ourselves when the red taillights disappeared into the darkness. Our town is pretty small. We're far enough away from city lights that during the night we can see all the stars. Our home was about two miles away. It's not that far, but it would be to ten-year-olds. We started up the road which went up on a decline and about 10 degrees, then got a bit more steep towards the top. All told, it's about a mile to the top with cliffs on both sides, which is lined with metal guardrails, like you see on mountain roads. But there is enough space on the shoulders for a car during emergencies. The full moon that night gave us some sense of security and soon we were bragging to each other about which girl we would have danced with if only there was more time. Then, without any warning, Neil began whistling a tune. Specifically, Every Rose Has a Thorn by Poison. This probably dates us, but whatever. Dwight and I looked at our cousin with our eyes, asking, What did you just do? Neil looked at us and responded, You guys don't believe that mumbo-jumbo, do you? Nervously, we answered with a question. No? Neil whistled a long note, which echoed in the cliffs by the road. Triumphantly, he said, See, as if he had discovered something great. Angrily, I tried to cover being scared by saying, Stop, let's just focus on getting home. But Neil prodded at me. Are you scared? He was about to whistle again when he was interrupted. There was a long whistle that started low and crescendoed at a high pitch. We all immediately began to scan the landscape using the moonlight to look for anything that was moving. We asked one another if we recognized who that would be or if we saw anything. It was a long minute that we all held our breaths and stopped moving so we could hear if there was anyone else out there. With eyes wide open and ears alert, we looked at each other, seeing panic on our faces. We eventually continued up the road. This time our pace doubled. We all kept looking behind us, feeling eyes on us. As we neared the top of the road, Dwight looked back and said, Wait, I see something moving. We all stopped and looked back. From the distance we were, we could see a human shape walking down in one of the cliffs beside the road. In the moonlight, we could see it was wearing dark clothing and its face was white, but none of us remember seeing the hands. It walked parallel to the road for a few steps, then began to walk perpendicular to the road. Then we saw the thing take one step onto the road and it strolled in the middle of it, stretching out its arms, touching both the metal barriers on either side of the road. Its arms would have to be impossibly long to do that. We were petrified while this humanoid thing established itself there. We all grew up with Navajo culture, so I had bitter root that keeps you from succumbing to fear, kind of like smelling salt, so I took a big pinch and put it in my mouth. I then gave some to my cousin and my brother. After that, we ran up the road, instinct driving us. I could hear my heart pounding in my chest as we passed vegetation, fallen tree limbs, and roadkill. At one point, a rabbit joined our frantic getaway, then disappeared behind a yucca plant. The crickets seemed to cheer us along, and the moon lit our way. We all hit the top and saw a neighbor's light in the distance. 
We ran towards it. We didn't talk, just ran. And as we came up on the neighbor's house, we were greeted by his dogs. The dogs at first thought we were strangers, but soon recognized us and began begging to play with us. I tripped in the process. I tumbled, noticing my right arm hurting, but I got up and kept going. At some point, the dogs gave up, returning to their house. By then, we were about a quarter mile from safety. Suddenly, behind us, we heard the same neighbor's dogs raise a ruckus again. This time, there was no recognition. We could hear resentment and anger in their barks. When we heard them barking like that, we looked at each other again, and we knew that thing had followed us from the road. With our lungs and legs burning, we all focused on the doorknob we were heading towards. With great relief, we all reached the door, and somehow we all went through the door at the same time, collapsing in the living room floor. Our grandma came running to our side, putting water on our faces and smudging us with sage. She gave us some more bitterroot and chanted a protection prayer. At that same point in time, our dogs began to bark. My dad took some bitterroot too, smudging his rifle, and he went outside. After a moment of silence, we all heard him fire a single round, probably in the air. A moment after that, we heard the long whistle that started low and crescendoed to a high pitch again. We heard a second shot, and my dad came back inside. He never mentioned or said anything about the incident. He never told us what he might have seen. After our encounter, more people began having encounters, and they all seemed to happen near the school. Some janitors even refused to work alone in the buildings at night, and security always patrolled in pairs after that. The creature was given the name... Mr. Black. And that was basically the end of our encounter. Eyes Everywhere From Anonymous It was 2011. My family and I had just gone down to Lion's Head to visit my stepdad's brother and his family. I was at a point in my life where I hated everyone. I just wanted to be by myself. I was rebellious, and I didn't care if anyone knew. We stayed at a trailer park down by the docks off the Georgian Bay. At the dock, there were boats you could rent. One night, halfway through the week we were there, I decided to sneak out, which was not easy in a trailer. I walked on down to the docks, untying one of the paddle boats that were left there. Normally, these boats are meant to be driven by two people, but I was fine with just taking it slow. I paddled out fairly far from the harbor, just enough that I could see it. I took out my phone and plugged in my headphones to listen to my music and appreciate the stars that we don't get to see in the city. At some point, I'd lost track of time. I was beginning to nod off. I decided then I should probably go back so I got up from my resting position and looked around, searching. At first, I was oddly calm, thinking that staying a few more minutes would probably be fine. But after a few more minutes, a strange fear finally set in. I couldn't see the harbor. Where was it? I mean, it had to be around there somewhere, but where? I started to paddle towards the closest landmass I could see, I couldn't be that far from the harbor, right? After a few minutes of desperate paddling, I realized something. I wasn't moving. I thought I was stuck on some weeds or a log, so I looked over the edge, but I didn't see anything. Nothing but the stars reflecting on the calm water. I rotated around the boat, trying to find whatever I was stuck on. Peering over the left side, I spotted it. At first, I thought it was a large star or even a regular one that was distorted by the water, but it didn't move with the waves like the others did. Then I noticed another, and another, and another. There had to be at least two dozen of these eyes surrounding my small boat. 
Each eye looked to be a few feet down and the size of a bowling ball. I was horrified, petrified. For a few minutes, I sat there watching these eyes, but they didn't move. For a moment, I thought maybe they were some sort of metal obstruction that was reflecting the light in an odd way. But then I saw one of them blink. That one blink shocked me out of my paralyzed state. I jumped right back in my seat and pedaled as hard as I could. But no matter what I did, I couldn't move from that spot. After half an hour, I was tired and I gave up. Soon I had another idea. I opened the compartment in the back, pulling out the emergency kit. There I found and grabbed a flashlight. I tried to shine the light on the thing beneath my vessel, but all I saw was inky blackness. Whether it was the skin of the thing or the darkness of the water below, it didn't matter. I had one goal in mind. I threw the flashlight at the eye closest to the boat. The eye seemed to blink. In fact, all the eyes blinked at once. Suddenly, I was jolted from my position, leaning over the edge of the boat. I flung back into my seat. I'd been so distracted by these eyes, I hadn't even realized the boat wasn't moving with the waves. I didn't care about anything except getting off that lake. So I took the boat to the nearest shore. Unfortunately, that shore was about two miles from the trailer park. I spent the rest of the night in the woods. When I made it back, it was around 10 a.m. My parents had a search party looking for me. I was in a lot of trouble, and the boat had to be paid for out of my account. But I was just happy to be alive and on solid ground. But one thing was on my mind. If the boat had stopped before I realized I was being watched, how long had that thing been watching me? And what did it want? If you have any idea what it was, let me know. I told my family about it, but no one believes me. So it would be nice to have some closure about this. Warning. The following story contains vivid depictions of violence against pets. Something near my new home. From Princess Witch 669. Listen to me when I say I'm not easily scared of anything. I've practiced the craft since middle school, encountering many spirits and playing with Ouija boards many times. I'm Native American, with ancestry from both my mother and father. I've heard many stories and legends, and I've been in northern Michigan for most of my life. I know the wildlife, and I'm very familiar with the dogman tale. I also lived in Flint for some time where I witnessed and heard horrible things. That's why I returned to Northern Michigan. I would rather see and handle the critters. That being said, I've lived on my own since I was 17 years old. Before that, I'd been out of my home a few times as well, but officially I had my own place at 17. I am comfortable being alone. In fact, I enjoy the solitude of mornings in my house. I used to live downtown, but for personal reasons, I won't share my location. However, I recently moved out to the country, finding a cute house to call home. I thought I'd love it just as much, but boy, was I wrong. I'm living with my boyfriend now, and we both work nights. Usually, he's home with me, but sometimes our schedules defer, and one of us is left home alone. The first encounter happened to him. Right next to our driveway is a thick forest that turns pitch black as soon as the sun sets. He was outside at our car, grabbing a few groceries, while I was already in bed. We've known each other for years and have an unusual connection, so when something is wrong, I feel it physically. That night, I woke up from a horrible night terror. I dreamt that he was being ripped to shreds by something unseen in the woods next to our driveway. I woke up in an instant, and I saw him walking into the house. I asked if he was okay, as he looked like he saw a ghost. He stared at me for a moment before answering. 
He had heard something behind him from the thick forest. He described it as a horrible bone-cracking sound, similar to the cliché noise from the Grudge movie. At first, I laughed because of the description, but he insisted it was true, and I could tell by his expression that he was shaken up by the experience. With the limited resources we had since we had just moved in, I did what I could do to make him feel better. For a few nights, things were quiet. About a week later, we stepped outside to smoke. A nasty habit, I know. But as I mentioned, the forest around us is very thick. We have a garage, and from around the corner stands a large pine tree. I had my back towards the woods when I noticed him looking past me into the thick darkness. I turned slowly and immediately saw what he was staring at. There were eyes. These eyes were so high up, yet low enough that it couldn't possibly be something on a tree branch. My first instinct was to think it was a raccoon, but that wasn't possible. If you're familiar with deer, then you'll know their eyes reflect light. The eyes we were looking at were tinted red. Now listen, my boyfriend is six foot three. He was looking upwards to see these eyes. My ears began to ring, as they do when something bad is about to happen. That night, my ears sounded like a school bell. It was unnerving how still it stood, just watching us. Sleep didn't come easily that night. Now it seems that every time the sun sets, my ears ring and I feel like I'm being watched. It's as if I could open the curtain and someone will be right there. I'm unsure what it is. I have an idea, but I refuse to accept it without solid proof. Fast forward. One day, our neighbor, a sweet lady, came down asking if we had seen one of her dogs. She has two pit bulls that live outside, and her youngest one disappeared. The puppy used to greet us in the driveway as he was an escape artist. So when I heard the news, I can't say I was surprised. Later that evening, while I was working, my phone began to blow up. My neighbor was apparently sending voice memos on Facebook, crying about finding her puppy. She had found him about 200 feet back in the woods by the dog kennel. He'd been ripped to shreds. My heart sank, and I didn't know how to console her. We invited her for breakfast the next day, so she wouldn't be alone. Her husband was deployed at the time. She brought her other dog, and my cats enjoyed the company. However, the dog sat at our slider door, just staring out of it. What I initially assumed was mourning turned out to be an honest mistake. That night, we were awakened by heavy breathing, as if something had run for miles. There was an awful smell accompanied by grunts at the window. The curtain was closed, and I refused to look out. So we lay there for what felt like ages, just looking at one another and listening. When morning came, I checked outside, but I found no footprints. I'm currently home alone as I write this. If anything else happens, I'll update you. But for now, I'm terrified, genuinely scared. I'm using this as a space to share and I've got nowhere else to turn. I certainly can't tell my family or landlord. Due to my colorful past, I'm sure they'll blame my mental health and say my mind is just playing tricks on me. I just hope I can put an end to this. The Metal Hatch From Bin 520 Throughout my whole life, I've experienced many scary things, but this one just stuck with me throughout my lifetime. To start this, I'll give you some backstory. I was eight or nine years old at the time. I lived in Arizona. I had three friends back then, Jack, Austin, and Cal. Throughout my childhood, I loved to play with them on trails near my house. Even if it was 100 degrees out, my friends and I would still spend hours on these little trails, playing soldiers with toy guns and having a great time. 
but on this one trail, there was a small metal hatch that most likely led to nothing. My friend always said, eh, it doesn't go anywhere, but I always got a weird feeling around it. As we got a little older, we started to go out later and later at night. But every time we would go out during the night and pass the metal hatch, we would hear strange noises, like something breathing heavily or low growling. The growling sounded hollow and unnatural. We always thought it was someone messing with us, and we would shake it off. Every night, the noises got more noticeable and louder, but nothing would be there. Then a couple of weeks went by with no noises at all, and we sort of forgot about them. One Saturday night, we were heading home from a long hike, talking about how we would plan our sleepover when we heard a new noise we had never heard before. It sounded very far out, but I could make out something. It almost sounded like words, but just gibberish, not real words. As the sound grew closer, we all huddled close to each other. Then, we heard a scream that sounded like every single animal scream or howl all at once. So we booked it. As we ran, I looked behind us and I saw a shadow. It almost looked like a hunched over person, but a little off. We all burst through the door of my house and yelled for my mom. She ran down to us and said we were just being silly and needed to go to sleep. To reassure us, my mom sent out my older brother and my dad to search the trail to see if there were any monsters. My dad and brother loved the supernatural, so I knew they would look around. That was my chance to get a look at this thing that had been lurking behind us for so long. As my dad and brother left, I followed close behind, but I made sure they didn't see me. I hid behind bushes and a big rock on the way to the trail. As we made it up to the metal hatch, I saw that it was now open. When I saw this, I screamed, and my dad and brother looked at me with frustration and concern. I thought your mother told you to stay home, my dad yelled at me with anger. But as soon as he yelled, the thing was there, right in front of my dad. I got a good look at it. It was four or five feet tall with long, sharp fingers and grayish skin, with bits of skin missing and blood on its horrific face. That face still gives me the creeps. It had two yellowish eyes and long, sharp teeth with the blood on the tips. It seemed to smile at us. But we were gone soon after, sprinting all the way back home as quickly as we could. After that, it was all a blur. But I do remember my dad asking me if I was okay. But not much after that. To this day, I still don't know what that thing was. I couldn't find anything that looked like that on the internet. So I felt like sharing this story here. Whatever it was, I hope it escaped and got far away from me. The Dog Man from MJ2004 This encounter happened to me four years ago when I was 16. I live in a small farm village with about four houses on the main property and four more on the other side of the road. I remember there being four kids on the farm and we would always hang out. It was a normal day when it happened, like all the other days. I recall my friend Kay and I hanging out at the big tree we usually went to. It was getting dark and I told her that I needed to go home. However, she being younger and tougher than me, suggested we go into the woods behind my house. My parents always told me that if I wanted to go into the woods, I should have an adult with me. But being who I was, I ignored my parents' advice, agreeing to Kay's idea. Our original plan was to go in, see if we could find anything cool or interesting, take a picture, and leave. So Kay and I walked our way over to the woods. Kay made a few jokes on our way, and as soon as we arrived at the tree line, I remember her saying, Something feels wrong. 
At the time, I didn't notice, but while we walked to the woods, the birds and animals stopped making noise. It was odd, since the birds around here always chirped, with the occasional yell of a jackal. But at that moment, it was dead silent. I felt Kay's hand tremble in mine as she spoke. On second thought, let's go home. She started to walk away, but I got confused and annoyed at the same time. I remember grabbing her hand and pulling her with me, saying, We came all the way here. I'm not leaving until we find something cool. Little did I know I would regret those words later. We walked into the woods, and I turned my phone's light on, since the shadows of the trees were blocking out the remaining sunlight. I remember feeling very uneasy, and I heard Kay say, Come on, girl, let's go home. Something isn't right. Before she could finish, we were cut off by a low growl. Both Kay and I instantly whipped our heads around to where the sound came from. We saw just a male impala looking at us as if to ask, did you make that sound? Then it turned and ran off. I gulped, thinking maybe it was a wild dog or that hyena my dad saw a few weeks back. Kay said, let's just go. Then she gasped. I turned to see her eyes wide, her face pale. She was staring at something now behind me. My heart began to pound fast. I turned around too, slowly, and what I saw next made me regret ever agreeing to go there. It looked like a buff bodybuilder, although it wasn't. The thing that caught my eye was how its legs were shaped, like a dog's hind legs, with sharp claws on its fingers. The thing's face was terrifying. Its jaw was shaped like a wolf's, and its fur was a dusty brown color. I found myself looking into its eyes, those eyes. I'll never forget them. They were a bright, bright yellow color, almost glowing and strangely human-like. I felt its eyes stare deep into my soul. I was in a trance. I soon whipped my head toward where Kay was, or was supposed to be. She ran off without me. My heart stopped for a second as I heard this beast take a step forward. As I turned, it was right in front of me. Tears streamed down my face as the beast let out a silent snarl, lifting its large arm. I wanted to cry out for help, yell out to Kay, but my voice was caught in my throat. The beast growled and I felt its long fingers in my hair. It wore a silent snarl on its face as its thumb dug into my forehead, its nail cutting into my skin. Blood ran down my face, and I thought to myself, I'm going to die today. Strangely, the beast let go of my head, turning around and walking into the tree line. It turned, looking at me as if it was smiling to scare me even more. It turned back around, leaning down on all fours like a dog, and left. As soon as it was out of my sight, my legs started to run on their own, and I found myself at Kay's house, crying and yelling at her to let me in. Kay's brother let me in, and I instantly fell into his arms, crying even more. After the whole incident, Kay and I never told anyone what happened or what we saw. But since then, I've never looked at those woods the same way again. I did some research on what I saw that day and came across people who had the same experiences as me. Some people describe the beasts as dogmen, lichens, or even werewolves. To this day, I shiver at the thought of it. Be careful out there. You never know what might be lurking in the woods. Thanks for listening to Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us in a number of other ways. You can go to eeriecast.store to buy some creepy t-shirts or coffee mugs. Go to eeriecast.com to listen to and follow this show and our other scary podcasts on your favorite podcasting app, or follow me on Twitter at darkprevails for more screams and memes. Before I go, 
be sure to send me your scariest stories of the unexplained at darkstories.org. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.